We want to be our best, feel our best and live our best. But achieving our best isn't as cut and dry as do fitness, eat good, get results, happy. To find joy, good health, balance and contentment, we need to show valour. This is valour. Valour is courage. Courage to face challenges, to endure, to struggle, to be exposed to all of your vulnerabilities and to face it all without any certainty of the outcome. On the Valor Podcast, we share the methods, strategies, and ideas that can help us all achieve our very best. This is Valor. G'day, guys. Welcome back to the Valor Podcast. Couldn't be more stoked to have Nicole Ackerman on the show with us today. Her story is an incredible story. Nicole is an OG, OG member at Cranny way back in the old days. Um, she's been with us you know, almost the full eight years, moved away now, but has been with us most of those times and she's the kind of member that always got involved in community things, went on camps, helped out at events, always did the judging, just was always there for everybody at all times. She's that person that just wants to make people happy. Her story though, she shares her story on alcoholism and how it sort of went from you know binge drinking as most of us do in our late teens, as it sort of turned into something more of a coping mechanism to cope with life, to cope with struggles, conflicts, to numb. Uh, it's a really good story. She goes deep and dark and then uh, takes us out to the other side to where she is now. Super, super courageous, super vulnerable to share this story, but I know she wanted to do it because she wanted to help others. We talk about all sorts of things related to this addiction in, in particular. Um, drinking is one way that we can be addicted, but... People find it through drugs. People even find it through things like sitting on our phones and scrolling endlessly through social media. And we sort of just talk about how they're all similar in ways and sort of what we can do to help get ourselves out of those addictive habits where we're sort of using them to to numb or to escape. Often we do that because we're maybe afraid to face our shame or face the troubles and conflicts that we have in our lives and we sort of just wish them away and addicts them away through something so we talk about that and um, talk about what strategies she uses now to to help it's a great chat here we go nicole ackerman enjoy this is bella nick how are you hi Stu. i'm good what's going on um you know just moved house you know settling horses down living life got my kids couldn't be happier. Well, I could be. I could, a couple of million bucks would be good. But for what I've got right now, I'm not complaining. That's good. Um, thank you for joining me. Um, this is going to be a really, really good chat. Could go deep. We'll see mm-hmm. how we go. But I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and chat about this. Um, I was confident that you would. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... I'll, if I can help someone with my story, then that's all I want. Awesome. Um, let's go back, back though. Um, we first met oh, OG days of the gym. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the second year we were open or even in the first, to the, the first year. So you are a true OG. Your 12-month anniversary and then I started. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, well, tell us that. Like what got you interested in coming here in the first place and, and being a part of it? Oh, uh, came with um, a friend of mine. We were both looking for a new um, adventure. We'd heard about CrossFit and um, 
we we came here, we walked in slow, reluctant, heads down, looking up, going, Oh my god, what is what have we and like, I looked at her and I said, What have you done? Like what are you what have you done to me? <laughs> um, we did our first class and that was it, we were hooked. And um, we I still love CrossFit, even though I'm not so much attending these days. Well, not that anyone can, but um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I still love it. I still do all the movements. I've got a gym set up at home. Um, you know, my son and I do it together. Um, but yeah, early days, love CrossFit. It's an addictive thing. And I think it's one of the things that you want to be addicted to. Yeah, it's a definitely a healthy addiction. Mm. Um, but yeah, you were with us for yeah fair few years, came on the camps with us whether they were local Bali, Bali with us mm-hmm. had some pretty good times there I remember once like Tim was on the motorbike you were seated behind him Michelle. there was too much traffic so we took the footpath and just started screaming out my wife's having a baby get out the way <laughs> <laughs> that was I loved Bali. I think we did two Barleys did I do two Barleys oh, we did a we did once we went back to back weeks and then We've only been back again once since. Oh, maybe, maybe. I've only done that one. But it yeah. was the best. But I was Sons of Cranny. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that skit that we did. Yeah. And, and holding the cleaver. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hilarious. Of, yeah, we made our own. Because we all rented you know, mopeds, Mope, scooters. Yeah. We made our own kind of bicycle gang, really, yeah. at our villa. And there's this great video of us, the sons of Cranny. Oh, gosh. We'll have to post that. I might put a link to that to, for anyone to check that out. Um, but, yeah, so you're not so much training here now. You've moved a little bit further away. But, I don't know, we still, when you're an OG, we consider you as a part of the family the whole time. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to get you on to chat about your story, which I guess myself and Court would um, well, probably a part of it for some time or, or people that got involved and whether it was just chats about it or providing support. Um, maybe when you got your hair with, done with court, mm-hmm. that's like a little therapy session too sometimes to 100%. sit and chat and that. So, so we've very much been involved in your story here. Um, and yeah, I, I'm keen for you to share it because I know it will help. Um, start wherever you want to start about uh, alcohol addiction and, and tell us the story and let's go. I let's go. <laughs> where did you start? Where did it all sort of let's say where where did um drinking start in your I life? I was a binge drinker as a teenager and a young 20-year-old. Like would, many of us. Are. Yeah, like many of us are and you know Friday Saturday night after work go out and just write yourself off completely pick it all up again go again do it all on on uh, Saturday night. Um, you know, and there were blackouts, there were moments where you woke up and going, how did I get here? Um, but that was just like every other, t- you know, 20, 25 year old hanging out with them. All my group of friends at that stage were doing the same thing. So it was not seen to be abnormal, but it certainly wasn't healthy looking at it from, you know, the older, wiser me now, that was probably the beginning of 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 it all um you know and the fact that I could black out and go oh what happened there and then during the week you're like well it's been a tough week I'd like to black that one out let's have a couple of drinks you know it's sort of become a little bit habitual the environment that um I I worked in I worked for IBM 
was lots of day drinking, you know, wine with customer. Have a wine, buy a nice bottle of wine, spoil your customer and lots of functions at night which always included alcohol. It's such a normal thing in society these days that alcohol is, it's normalised and so people think that if you drink every night of the week, well, that's normal. Um, And for some people it might be normal and it might be okay. It might not be a problem. Um, you know, it's only a problem when you see it as being a problem. Well, when you see it as being a problem, when the people around you are affected emotionally, physically, financially, um, then it's a problem even if you don't see it. And that's, so I think, where my drinking journey sort of started because alcohol was normalised. And even par- um, family functions and birthday parties, it wasn't just me, it was everyone around me. There was, I did not know anyone that didn't drink alcohol. Mm. Did you find it like functions and events and stuff that you wouldn't just have a few, like you'd kind of push that binge level a little bit? It was free. Yeah. So I would just drink and drink. There was always alcohol in my hand and there'd be, there was one occasion I remember when I was at a work function, I got up the next morning and I was speaking with my boss and he said to me, he goes, um, you might need to go and have a shower. He goes, I can smell alcohol on your on your body. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've had a shower. <laughs> like I've been there. I'm thinking, and how unprofessional is that? I'm speaking to clients and I'm reeking of, of alcohol from the night before. And I was highly functioning alcoholic. And I don't know if that's glorifying the word al- being an alcoholic. A lot of people didn't realise that it was I drank as much as I did. Um, because I would get up the next day and I would be that high-functioning person. I'd get all my chores done, nothing would get missed. I would do washing, I'd do laundry, I'd cook dinner and then it happened all again. So I don't want to glorify it by saying I was a high-functioning alcoholic, but I definitely was. Yeah, well, from my like first few years of knowing you, I had no idea that you were an alcoholic and I, you know, we had a few events together and... You might have got yourself a little bit pissed, but you weren't the only one that got yourself pissed. Uh, so I and but when you'd come in and train, I would have had no idea that you might have had drinks the night before or anything like that at all. No yeah. idea. And at that stage, it was probably just a bottle of wine a night. Do you know it got worse from there? Um, so that was normal for me. If I didn't drink a bottle of wine, um, it was like uh, I, I was sick there was something else going on you know I every night I would drink a bottle of wine it was just that was my normal I'd start at five o'clock and I wouldn't stop until the bottle was gone mm. I couldn't imagine drinking a bottle of wine every night every night every night and the financial because I like nice wine as well yeah. so the financial hit was quite massive you know it's 15 20 dollars a night every night and then more on weekends it was always more on weekends yeah how, like, when did that sort of, so from going from binging since, like, late teens, early 20s, um, when did you first have Chloe? How old were you when you had Chloe? I was 23 yeah. when I had her, and I just turned 24 after I had her. Um, didn't drink through any of my pregnancies. I didn't drink while I was breastfeeding. Um, for me, that was not a problem. It was, it was not my life, and these were my babies. I created them, and I wanted to give them the best opportunity I could in life. And I did that with all four children. Didn't touch alcohol at yeah. all. Um, 
And I don't know why it was, I was just easy, it was just easy for me to switch off and go, no, not touching it. But then that moment I stopped breastfeeding, it was like, okay, give me that wine. Yeah. Give me that. And it was back on. Um, I think um, the, the time where it sort of started to get worse was when I knew I'd finished having children after Ashton. Uh, sorry, after Lily, I knew I was done. There was nothing in me that said I wanted to have another baby. I love babies, but I don't want another one. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to create another child. And I think that's sort of when I sort of go, oh, now I can just live my life. Get stuck back into I just it. Just stuck back into it, and it there was nothing stopping me. It was just, it was just, um, you know that. And then I got some friends as well, a group of friends, separate group of friends that loved their drinking and it was all about drinking and it was day drinking. It was, you know, 3 p.m. after they picked the kids up from school, come around and drink and, um, you know, a lot of mummy friends that would just do the same thing and um, it got worse and that's sort of at that moment, I think when, when Chloe hit school and I... found these group of mums and you know we're all stressed out we're all high strung we're worried about finances we're all you know it it was a lot of stuff going on but when we drank alcohol it was about music and dancing it was fun you know we didn't bitch about our husbands or our children we just drank and laughed and that was that made life good or did it I don't know so you think a lot of it was to do with I guess dealing with like the busyness and the hecticness of life. It's it's um there's there's a number of things. It's social. Yeah. You drink, you go out. I know now, being sober for as long as I have, um, it's abnormal. Do you want a drink? Oh, do you have water? No, beer, wine. No, no, just a water. Or you know, I'll have a special occasion. I might have a raspberry soft drink. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's it's really you know they're like you you don't want an alcohol like no I don't drink part of I don't drink you yeah. know and it's it's not socially acceptable whereas drinking is socially acceptable um, it's quite bizarre um, sort of the full turnaround that's happened um, with not drinking and how it's opened my eyes up to how media even pushes it on us even you know you flick through your social media um stuff and it says you know um it says stuff about you know what's your your drink is this month yeah whatever and it's like and i don't drink gin (laughs) where's the water where's the coffee you know like that's why is it so normalized it's well even now in covid like when the that started and the lockdowns happened and all that there was not even a, a and a whisper of, oh, we should probably shut down the bottlenose. Mm. That was just normal. Coles no. is open, the bottlenose is open. Absolutely. But, but why is it open? It doesn't provide health or sustenance. And then I, th- I think people did ask the question a little bit, and the answer was kind of mental health reasons. Like, people need to drink to deal with their problems. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the... <laughs> It's it's true. Well, and that's sort of where I sort of became unhappy in in my life, and uh, I 
I, I did. I drank to escape my reality and I just... I didn't know how to confront the situations. I don't, con- I don't do confrontation. Even still now to this day, if confrontation isn't something I'm very good at. And so I'm likely just to run away from it than to deal with it. Um, and that's when, you know, if I had a problem, I just drink it away. I go, I don't, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm just going to have a drink. And, you know, I'd black out. And, you know, I'd, it was affecting my family. It was affecting my children. I remember my youngest daughter said to me once, you know, do you know I had to look after you like you looked after me last night? Mm-hmm. And she had actually put it on her social media. And I looked at that and I just... But that still wasn't enough to stop me. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, I imagine... And this is how it always is in those things. Other people always notice first. Did you have a lot of people saying, like, other, you know, voices concern or even passive-aggressively sort of saying, like, Nick, what are you doing? Not at that stage. No. No, no. So, I had a friend of mine from school who had committed suicide and I attended his funeral, which was heartbreaking. He's got young children. Um, We went to his wake... um, and I drank. I drank a lot of stuff. And I, I actually think I called you or Courtney that night mm-hmm. um, just looking for help or support or, or, or I didn't quite know what I wanted, but I knew I didn't want to be in that situation anymore. I remember. I remember where I was um, and we were a little bit worried. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just... Um, I had was had an argument with my now ex-husband and I'd had an argument with my sister and I just didn't want to be there. I was sad, I was upset and I wanted to get away. Once again, I don't deal with confrontation. First thing I'll do is I'll run away. So I jumped in the car and I drove home and it didn't end very well and I lost my licence and a lot of stuff happened after that um, you know, it it broke my marriage. Not that my marriage was perfect, but it definitely was the straw that broke the camel's back. And it kind of spiralled out of control once I lost my licence because then I didn't have to drive anywhere. So I was always the drinking person. And it became two bottles a night, every night. And I stopped being able to function during the day. And um, on weekends, it would be worse. I would drink more and more. And then there was one weekend where I, this is my rock bottom. Um, I self-harmed. And um, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. There was no pain. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to feel a different type of pain. I didn't want to feel the pain of my world anymore. I wanted to feel actual physical pain, not the emotional pain. And um, I didn't know what that first step of self-harming meant. And after that episode, I disappeared. No one could find me. I took myself and I turned my phone off and I just disappeared. Um, I ended up going up to Albert Park and sitting in the park like a bit of a hobo. <laughs> I went to Kmart and bought a blanket and I just sat there 
um, for a day and a night by myself. Um, I didn't know that my family and my friends had called police, that they were looking for me, that they had my phone, you know, um, to see if they could find me. They'd been tapping on my phone. Um, I was, I just went AWOL. And that still wasn't my turning point. That was just starting to, that was when I realised I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And it was a big problem because it was not just a problem for me. It was a problem for everyone around me. I hated that. I created so much anxiety within, within the people in my, that, that love me the most. And I scared them. They didn't know if I was coming home. So that was, um, that was when I knew I had a problem. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty poor because my problem started a lot longer before that. But yeah. for me, it was never a problem that's when it became a problem yeah and you do you sort of hear like often when you think you're at rock bottom like <laughs> you're still not there yet no. there's still a way to go you're no. like this is pretty fucked um but yeah there's another level well i'll get you to tell me about that in a sec but i was thinking while you were talking about um i was going to ask when when you do drink and party and be you know kind of the life of the party as well often when you do get loose and all that it it can be fun and it can be funny and people laugh I was thinking about in Bali I remember when we were sitting on the beach as the sun was going down getting pretty loose (laughs) and you ended up like swimming naked yeah you and one other one other fella um were just like like oh it's gonna swim you know Tempesar Beach is uh dangerous it's Kuta Beach is a is a surf beach so we're like, ha, 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 so funny, so funny. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to stand down there and just keep an eye on them because they might be swept out to sea. And even in the moment, you're still like, ha, ha, like they're so drunk, that's hilarious. But later on, you're like, why is that hilarious? Like, that's fucking stupid. It was stupid. Yeah. Um, and in the moment, for me, it was just about enjoying the moment you don't think about, and that's the thing with um, when you're drunk, you don't think about the repercussions no. of what you're doing. You don't go, oh, you know, oh, if I go swimming, I could get a, I could get swept out to sea and no one will ever find me. And I certainly don't have the capacity to swim right now <laughs> because <laughs> I'm intoxicated. You know, um, you know, and that's the same thing in Bali. Um, you know, there was people went missing as well. I just went walk about. Mm. Oh God, where? In Bali, you can't just go walk about. No. Um, you know, and that's what it does. It, you're, uh, you become fearless and you lose inhibitions. And, um, you know, while, yeah, that people see that as being fun and funny, it's actually, it can be dangerous and degrading as well. Mm. I think that because we, like, laugh and think, oh, hilarious, do you think there's that little bit of, like, that kind of, there's that little bit of, like, affirmation from people like it makes you feel kind of good though because everyone's like oh nick you're so funny you've, yeah you've just thrown your top off and jumped in the water, the water. and like, when you're drunk you're like fuck i am funny this is great yeah who does that i should do this more like this is so much fun yeah so so not only you're getting enabled people are like this is great keep keep doing what you're doing i love see i and even still to this day i love making people happy mm. like you know but do i have to be drunk to do it no 
like I feel like that's sort of where we go wrong. Like we get confidence and, you know, like some people can have one or two and get that confidence, whereas I needed to have, you know, nine or ten or more mm. or just not stop until I couldn't remember or that's my problem. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. Once I started or I got into that process, I couldn't stop. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, having fun is one thing, but one, when you're drunk, it's hard to do it the right way. Mm. It's not safe. It's not good for your... It's not good for the people around you. Obviously, you were concerned for us. You know, and you weren't sober either. So, even if you had to come in, then we could have put your life in jeopardy as well. <laughs> yeah. so. I, wasn't, I wasn't that drunk. But, <laughs> yeah, no, no you're right. It's a, you put other people's life at risk and... and but you don't care about that at that point. At that and, point, you don't. You know, and, and if you think about the whole thing, like this was like a, a gym camp thing as well. Like we're going as a group. You know, I have a, a bit of a duty of, a, of care and responsibility for you guys as well. Yes, yeah. And if something goes drastically wrong, like that's the end of the business. That's the end of everything. Yeah. Like it's, it's huge. And you're kind of like, why do we accept that culture as like... Okay. Yeah. Why is that Okay. Why is that okay that I put your business at jeopardy? Yeah. I, personally, when in that moment, that's not what I'm thinking. No. It's I don't just think funny. it's just fun. Yeah. And I just wanted to go on the beach. It was a nice day. It was warm, humid, humid evening. Beach was warm. Yeah. Let's I was go. drunk. Just let's go. Yeah. Let's go. And I've done that. I did that um, at the Christmas party as well. Do you remember that? I danced on top of the table. <laughs> like I could have fallen off, broken my neck, could have done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I think that was the last event I attended CrossFit where I was drinking. Yeah, 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 I remember. Um, all right, well, tell us where, how do we get to the real rock bottom? What? Oh, so, obviously, I was going through divorce at that time and um, he got wind of what had happened and rightfully so... Um, he went to the courts and said I was a risk to my children. Um, I probably would have done the same thing if the roles were reversed. Um, my kids mean the world to me. If he had done something like that, I'd be concerned for them to be in his custody. That was my rock bottom. I had to have um, supervised visitation to see my children. Um, but there was a three-month period there while the courts decided if it was appropriate or not for me to even have supervised visitation. I had to fight for my children. Um, and that was a no-brainer for me. They said, your choice is your kids or alcohol. You can't have both. And I said, are you kidding me? They said, I want my kids more than anything in this world. Um, I didn't know if I could actually stop drinking, though. At that stage, I was like, holy shit. Alcohol, to me, was a different type of friend. You know, it was a friend that was always there when no one else was. Um, and it was. It was. I actually saw it as an actual physical thing in my life. It was, it was something that I had that no one else could take from me. And it was always there, no matter what. And I didn't know, like, it was like, your kids are your alcohol. I'm like, well, duh, kids, no problem. I'm like, well, how do I stop? Um, and it needed to be finite. I mm. needed to, it, it 
I, c- I knew I couldn't cut down. I knew I couldn't. Did you try reason though? Like, you're like, how can I make this work? How can I make this? I actually didn't. No, I didn't. I knew I needed to stop. You, you hear like if you if you listen to like books on like the uh, steps for recovery and stuff like that. That's there is that like negotiation period that a lot of people have where they're like. Maybe I can make this work still. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I can have my cake. Probably later on. Yeah. After I'd already... So now in... You know, oh, maybe I could have one wine at this event. Or maybe yeah. I'll, maybe when my kids get married, I'll have a champagne with my daughter. Like, yeah. I, I still think like that. But right now, it was like, no, I need to just stop because the kids to me mean more. And I um, admitted myself into a rehabilitation program about three days after um, my self-harming incident. Um, and that was... It was so hard to admit that I had that bad of a problem that I needed to go to rehabilitation. I still denied it. Even being in there, I was like, I don't need to be here. I don't have a problem. I'm just doing this to get my kids back. Um, but I did have a problem. And I needed to be there. And I'm so grateful that I, I only I was generally a stay in rehabilitation is four weeks. They um, discharged me after two, so my my cycle was a lot shorter than a lot of other people's. But I had I had my trigger, which was my kids, and that was my driving force. And I did everything I could because all I wanted was to have my kids. And um, I did everything they asked me to do to the book. I attended every session. It was when I met people in there, I think that's what's maintained my sobriety. I think of those people that have been in there, not once, but seven or eight times, um, the girl that was in the room next to me would introduce me to herself every morning. Oh, we're roommates. Hi, my name's Elizabeth. I go, hi, Elizabeth. Nice to meet you. She goes, you going to breakfast? Yes, I am. Okay. The next morning, oh, we're roommates. You know, my name's Elizabeth. Are you going to... It was like Groundhog Day. Every day she would forget who I was. And she has um, brain damage from alcohol addiction. She has no short-term memory. She's purely because of alcohol no drugs no nothing she's been drinking since the age of 13 she was 24 Mm -hmm. do you think like there's a long like i think most of us do you have that a lot for a long time you think oh that won't be me yeah did you ever look at her or you know those people in that situation and go shit like that could be me that could be me yeah that could be me then um, there was a few other incidents that happened while we were, I was in rehabilitation. Um, you know, these were people that were addicted, addicted to drugs and alcohol and multiple things. Um, you know, sort of psychotic episodes almost as a result of coming off these um, substances. And I just, seeing that, I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want that to be a part of my world. And... Um, it just made that decision for me so much easier. I'm done. I am done. I do not want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Mind you, these people look lovely people, 
but I want to have my short-term memory and I want to have my long-term memory. I don't want to have psychotic episodes. I don't want to be in here all the time around people like this. I'm not this. This is not my world. This is not what I want for me. And so um, two weeks in rehabilitation, um, that was my first two weeks of sobriety. I had very little withdrawal symptoms. My kidneys are completely normal. I put that down to CrossFit, drinking lots of water, eating great paleo diets, all of that kind of stuff. So everything else in my world was great. Just the alcohol was really, really poor. Were you following the 12 steps to recovery or some sort of... I didn't have time. No. I needed to get my kids back. I just needed to get my kids back. And in rehab, they do the 12 steps. Yeah. So you sort of learn them and understand them and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I read, um, and I would absolutely recommend this book. It's Russell Brand, who's hilarious, but he written his own book, kind of putting it into his terms. I don't know if you've seen this book or read read it. it. I've audio booked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to audio book because his his voice voice. is like mesmerizing. Um, But I like how he just, he even puts the name of all the, the... topics in his language like you know are you a bit fucked (laughs) could you be less fucked (laughs) um but I just I don't know much about the 12 steps so I was like I'm going to listen to this book about it and it just gave me a really good understanding and insight of it's an incredible program Mm. and it it could absolutely work for people it does yeah it does and because I'm also now a member on a few other um, stop drinking groups worldwide, local, all that kind of stuff. Some people, it doesn't work. Mm. There's, no, there's no one right approach. And I think to, you have to have a trigger. You have to have a, a, something that means more to you than alcohol. You've got to have, and you've got to want to do it. It's got to be inbuilt. It's like, you know, I really want to deadlift 150 kilos. I really, really want to do it. And you work hard to get there. It's the same kind of thing, you know. But if you don't want it, if you don't want to stop drinking, it's really hard to get there. Yeah, you need to have that purpose and that why. And it's also, often it's always that thing that's a bit beyond yourself too. And I know that's one of the early stages of it is understanding that it's not all about you. And there is a, you know, there's something beyond you that is more important. And like for you, like that's your kids understanding that that's, yeah. And 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 it helps you realize that your addiction, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or whatever, is so selfish and so narcissistic. And and people don't, you don't realize how selfish it is. Yeah. And and even and like when you're trying to be high functioning, it's kind of trying to trying to do both You're like oh, I can do both it's fine it's fine and and as you sort of as your story went it, it wasn't fine because you're sort of trying to deal with any of the problems that pop up by just drinking it away it's sweet and then I'll continue to function but then it just builds and builds and builds and at some point that yeah that selfishness and all that consumes you and takes over and yeah all those that greater power beyond you just kind of is lost mm. and that's something that I find amazing about that program is it just, it, for, for a lot of people, it gets them to realize, oh, fuck, like, it's not all about me. There is, and, and when I start putting my focus on someone else or something else a bit greater than me, 
things sort of just start to fall into place a little bit and, and you start getting external or internal rewards for what you're doing. You know, drinking and drugs and all that give you that quick, you know, external, you know, bit of reward, makes you feel good for now. Yep. Then it fades. Then you do it again to make yourself feel better. And then it goes away. Whereas doing things beyond yourself give you like this long-term feeling. Like the, I imagine the gratitude and the, the, the rush that you get for seeing your kids happy and your kids excel and your kids feel great is it's a longer process it's harder it takes patience it takes all these things but the reward the selfish reward you get for it is makes drinking nothing not a problem it's, it's not worth it like the you like can't oh, fuck drinking fuck that but you know that it's gonna take longer it's not about you it's be so you have to let go of those things um, and that's probably one of the big things I picked up from that and it's so interesting to me I think the 12, 12 steps is, is great because if you are thinking about it and you've looked into it, then that's the first part of you realising, mm, I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, oh, I'm interested in these 12 steps. If you're interested in it, then obviously in the back of your mind, you know that there's something brewing that shouldn't be. Yeah, and it could be just social media. Sitting on your phone, scrolling that thing like the bloody... Like yeah, and you black out machines. everything around you. You black out what your kids are doing. You, you forget to feed your animals. You yeah. you know, like there's just because you're on social media. Yeah, it's like it becomes a huge part of your world that starts to affect the affect the people and the world around you. And you can't. Social media is the same. Yeah, the things beyond yourself. Once again, like you you neglect all the things beyond yourself and all the things that give the real fulfillment. Yeah. And the social scrolling and or TikTok's fuck that one's bad. Yes. But the like, yeah, you're scrolling and scrolling for something just to give you that little oh, and then you scroll and scroll and it gives you that oh. It's not yeah. much. It's not far different from alcohol. Yeah. Um, Life's hard, Stu. Yeah. Life is hard, and and you know, to get anywhere in life, you got to work hard. You know, stuff doesn't just happen. Like look at you and how hard you've worked for the gym. Do you know you? It's hard and it's stressful, and sometimes it can be all-consuming. And it can, it can. You feel like it's just take me away. I don't want to just. I need a break. Stop. Stop. You know, normal people they'd go meditate or they'd go have a massage. Or nah, normal people would have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, see, this is the thing. You know, it's. Yeah. Or you go. You go. I just need to. I need to switch off for a minute, and you pick up your social media, and two hours later. You're still on it. Yeah. You haven't just switched. And then, and then all that time that you've consumed in your social media is now affecting how you, uh, how your business is running. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't got your invoices out or you, you know, you haven't done, you know, something that you needed to do because you've been consumed with social media. And you don't feel that much better either. Your problems are still there yeah. once you're finished. Yeah. Um, Court and I like... We, we even stopped it for a little bit, but the the lockdowns, especially, I think when COVID started, especially, we just like we're like we're getting up in the morning and we're going for a walk, and then we got a dog and that made it even better. So we're going for a walk, and that was such an important thing to do. Mm. The last couple of months, we probably faded a little bit. Maybe it was getting colder, things like that, um, and then these couple of lockdowns started again, and and then it makes you go a bit. You feel a bit dark, like everyone does at times. You feel a bit dark, or you know, go make another margarita or something like that. And then the other week, I was like we're not walking as much as we were. Like, let's prioritise that again. And mm. so we're getting up and walking. 
doesn't matter how cold it is, throw more layers on and walk. And when you get back from that and you've had a few chats about things, you've chatted about your kids, you've chatted about what to do for the day or blah, blah, blah. You've sort of just reconnected mm. and you feel significantly better for your day. It's still not, might not be a great day with a lockdown, but it's better and it's got some structure, it's got some routine. Uh, we could have laid in bed and scrolled a phone and probably had a bit of a sluggish day yeah, or a bit of a down day. But, but then you don't get your dopamine and you don't get your blood running and you and you stay you stay at that low level for the whole day, I reckon. If you don't start with a bit of a something. Something. Something that's that little bit better, that little bit bigger. Mm. It takes a little bit more, like you said, effort and work to do it, like or walk. It's not much. When it's cold, it's easy to say no to it though. Yeah. But as soon as you've done it, you're like, Oh, that was exactly what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Now I can do the next part of my day and the yeah. next part and so on. Yeah. Um, so what was the sort of next part of your recovery and that like? Like you said, it, like it obviously it's going to be, it's hard. Yeah. You know, what happened next? Well, I didn't have a license either. So, um, which I don't know if it was a good or a bad thing, but I spent a lot of time walking. I'd probably walk about 20 kilometers every day or every other day. I would, you know, well, do between 15 and 20 kilometers. Um, and I didn't have my children like they, we were FaceTiming and that was all I was allowed to have. So my distraction from the alcohol and from um, my life and the fact that I was getting a divorce and I was living with my mom and was just to walk, was to exercise and, uh, and music, listening to lots of music, which you know, music used to be my trigger to start drinking, whereas it was also my trigger to stop drinking, you know, or to help me through it. Music is. I Maybe think. it was the calming. Like when you drink, you wanted to calm and uh, and relax, and that and that helped. And the music was done alongside that. And you took out the drink, and the music still had the same calming. Effect. Calming, maybe. Yeah, I don't know, but um, lots of lots of walking. Um, you know, if I could get a lift to CrossFit, you know, Zoe would lift, give me a lift. Peter would give me a lift. I'd be here with bells on. Like I just would love to. I think the dopamine and exercise was key to me keeping my sobriety and it was really hard um it was hard not um not for the first six or seven months once I had my children back it was fine I was like this is easy I've got my babies my heart is full I am the happiest I've been like to know that I almost lost them even now still to this day I i I really wish I could just delete that point in my life because I'm I'm so ashamed of it. I'm so ashamed that I let it get to that point. I'm mortified that my poor children didn't have a mum for that period of time. Lily still suffers from separation anxiety. You know, mummy, why can't I see you? I couldn't answer her. You know, when your children point questions like that at you, it's and you know full well why. Well, because I'm an alcoholic. And I stuffed up, and I stuffed up bad. Um, you know, she, she's probably been... And that's the thing, it's affected my children. And it's affected them for life. You know, not drinking now is normal in our house. There's no alcohol in our house. Kids can't steal it because there isn't any. Um, and, like, my kids don't really think about it too much. They don't, you know, they don't... <laughs> Like beforehand, it was, you know, they'd pour me a glass of wine with dinner 
you know, whereas now it's like there's bottles of water or, you know, if, if it's a good day, you get apple juice or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's not something we even think about or talk about. But how good is that for them as well? Yeah, I was thinking like as much as you've gone through this horrific thing and they've also gone through it as well, do you see it now as like this just great kind of teaching oh, tool? This I think great it's example? amazing. Well, they, they see... Like my family are still very big, big drinkers um, and they see them, you know, ordering wine at dinner and, um, you know, I'll have a lemon lime bitters or solo or water, whatever. And to me, that's normal. I don't, if you want to drink, you drink. It's, mm. That's your priority. I'm not, I'm not here to preach to you, no, you can't drink wine with your meal. Drink. Um, even in the early days of me quitting, you know, mum would try and hide her wine because she's like, I really want a wine, but I don't want to drink in front of you. If I'm going to live a sober life, I need to learn how to um, be around alcohol without drinking it. Mm-hmm. So just drink, just do it. It might be a challenge, but just do it. Um, and, you know, now, God, I've, I bought her a bottle of wine the other day. We went around there for dinner in between lockdowns whole family she's like oh, I haven't got one oh, that's all right I'll grab you some you know I'm not opposed to people drinking but it's for mum it's just a drink it's just a couple of drinks here and there whereas for me it was not it wasn't just that it was more than that mm-hmm. and it affected my family and it's it's affected my children permanently and if oh, if I could take that back I would mm. I bet like now, like, because they're starting to get towards that that age, the good thing is that they're probably going to be the kind of kids that really aren't going to be that into it. Well, <laughs> they're going to be like, nah, you know what? I've seen the bad side of this. Yeah, well, Mark definitely. Like, Mark's he's uh, he just is not into it. He's right. just uh, more. It's footy, and you know, oh, he had a. He had a 16th birthday party. He said, oh, can you make sure that there's raspberry and Coke and uh, vanilla Pepsi? I said, yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. So, you know, Chloe maybe. She indulges a little bit in it. Um, but I'm open with her about it. Okay, if you want to – I'm not going to stop you from doing it, but just be sensible about it. Yeah. You know, so um, – you know, and she is, she, her and her girlfriends take it in turns and, you know, she's had one night where she's like, um, hey mum, I've drank too much, no worries, I'll be there in five. And I just want that open and honesty, I don't want to say to her, don't do it, because when you say to a teenage child, don't do it, the first thing they're going to want to do is do it. Mm-hmm. I think the one of the best things about you is you are so open and, and I know that you're quite like open and transparent with your kids about these things Mm. obviously to the level of maturity that they need but yeah I I think you just being open with them with the struggles that you've gone through with it help them to see and understand rather than just saying don't do it yeah don't do what I did it's like hey let's have a conversation about it yeah and that leads to yeah just such better better habits with it yeah and you know they they see alcohol in their world it's not it's not it's everywhere you know they see it it's they're exposed to it um they're exposed to alcoholics they're exposed to binge drinkers they're exposed to all of that um but they come home to a a clean quiet 
sober house and to them that's normal you know even their dad doesn't drink you know that much um i think he'd be lucky if there was beer in the fridge at his house ever um so in both of their worlds it's it's not a big deal when i grew up my god my dad would you know he'd go through a slab and half a bottle of bundy in a, <laughs> in a night and he'd still be walking and i'd be like what you know and he was either real fun or a real dick it was one or the other like you didn't never know what you were going to get but that was my life and it was normal so you know it, i think i saw that and I started to, you know, replicate that in my own life and, you know, it was a problem for him and it was a problem for us. There were times where we'd lock ourselves in our bedroom because dad was having a, you know, he was angry. Um, but it was never a problem for him, mm. you know, like it, it, was, it was his normal. It's like, no, I need this. I need this in my life. This is not a problem for me. It might be a problem for you, but it's not for me. Yeah, once again, it's how he deals. Um how do you deal now then with problems? <sighs> That's a good question. <laughs> I do uh, horses. I have animals. Yeah. That's it. They yeah. are my, they're my Facebook scroll. <laughs> it's your meditation. That's your, <laughs> so it, that's yeah. Yeah. I, I think well, the thing I've noticed with you is oh, now you live on farmland. You're yep. doing stuff with your hands. You're working with animals. You're working, you know, yep. cutting up trees and chainsaws and driving trucks all that cool shit using machines yeah yeah. when you have like proper you know problems that need confrontation like you said something you're not great with Mm. has that improved though uh well no (laughs) (laughs) i still want to run away but um i do have a good partner um and he's so uh he, he he puts everything into perspective like you know he's if i've got a problem he's like well they're not thinking about it the way you're thinking about it or they don't care about you so they care about the problem this isn't he puts a lot of things into perspective and i think he's also sober 25 years or something like that as well so we he sort of helps bring light to these confrontational situations and um <laughs> Sometimes, well, probably more more times than not, I'll just hand them over to him and he actually deals with them for me. So if I didn't have him, I don't know how I'd, <laughs> how I'd deal with confrontation because I don't want to make people upset. I want to make people happy. Mm. And I don't, I've never dealt with confrontation. I've always just sort of ran from it. And, um, you know, now I just sort of pass the buck to him and he's got broad shoulders. He's a, he's a, big, he's a big boy. He, yeah. he sort of, he's sort of helps me with all of that stuff but he does also help me realize that you know the issue it's just the issue it's not a personal thing for me I take everything personally Mm -hmm. like it hits me in the heart and I'm like oh and that's and, and that's I suppose where my problem is with alcoholism was that you know I'd escaped my problems because it hurt it hurt me emotionally and I'm like I don't want to feel like this I don't want to I don't want to feel this emotional pain and I knew that alcohol got rid of that or it helped me have fun in that moment you know whereas you know and then when I was still sober the problem was still there yeah it never sort of went away um so now you can just 
Just go hang out with the horses. I go hang out with Far horses. Far healthier way to just cool off. Sometimes it is. It's just time. You just need some time to go cool off. And getting outside is huge to me, I think. Like, like I said, going for a walk. Just getting out in some nature. Yeah. Helps you realize that there's a lot of other things out there. Like it's not all bad. It is. You're one tiny little blip in the, uh, in the universe. Yeah. Well, and horses, I have only... I did horses a little bit when I was... 20 years, a while ago. I've only really been doing horses since the last three and a half years. And it's a massive learning curve. So much to learn, so much to... Horses are amazing creatures and what the average person knows about horses is not even the tip of the iceberg. Um, Their emotional intelligence is massive. Um, And you can feel them. When you're close, and they're such huge, massive animals, it's just sort of takes you away to a different place. But for me, it's like I need to know more. Mm -hmm. And that interest and that passion um, sort of distracts me from wanting to move to addiction. Yeah. I've definitely got, um, you know, and then I learn about horses. I'm like, what about pigs? let's get a pig. Let's see what that's like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I want to learn about pigs. I'm like, wow, did you know that a pig can eat a human body in eight minutes? <laughs> like, that's so fascinating. I go, okay, so who do I know? No, no. <laughs> but it's just so, like, the animals just take me to a different place. Yeah. And um, I suppose if I do get bogged down with life and stress and everything i've got i've got my my farm animals are definitely my uh my savior yeah rain rain, hail or shine i will be out there i will hug i have cried with them i have sat with them for hours i they've hurt me my god they've stood on my foot broken my toes they've done some crazy stuff but i think they do more good than anything that i could ask for do you Mm, know and they don't talk back so so they're just uh they are definitely and that's the thing they educate me they distract me and it's my passion it's like I'm just totally passionate about it and I'm so grateful that I found that in my journey yeah definitely that's great um all right last few things I want to ask um obviously these lockdowns and that are super stressful I feel like they're a massive triggering time for people with all of the addictions, whichever ones they are, alcoholism, drugs, um, phone scrolling, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Like you go to that when you feel, oh, and like, you know, right now, this one that we're currently in, it could be another week again. So, oh, you just sort of tense up or you want to go jump on that thing. Um, what what do you think sort of, maybe just some advice that, or, or, or what do you do mm-hmm. in that kind of situation when those things, those triggers come? now so every lockdown um i run i don't know why i don't run any more than three kilometers that's my that's my point um i have done a few times but i just stop enjoying it after three kilometers so i run or i've it's finding that passion we've all got passions in life but we don't indulge in them but it's finding that passion and indulging in it you know so I indulge in my animals every day that's always there but over lockdown there's only so much I can do with my animals um so I do find myself indulging in other things and but they're healthy things 
So I indulged in, my son and I spent five hours setting up the gym at the new place about a week ago. So now the gym's there and it's like, okay, now he's like, well, I want to bench, I want to bench 85 kilos for three reps. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to bench 40 kilos for three mm. reps. And so we've, we work towards, you know, something that's fun and that we can do. I think the hard point, the hard part would be for those people that are home alone and they don't have that driving you know, that person there that to help, oh, let's do this together or let's do, I think being alone would be Hard. really difficult. Um, so finding a passion and indulging in it, but having the motivation to do it would be really tough, especially six time yeah. round. Definitely. I think, yeah, especially people that are on their own, if they have, do have that person, that hub or whatever they can go and meet up with, making that like a, is almost daily thing. Yes. I think it would be huge. I even, um, yesterday I caught up with Matt Smith, Christy, our coach's husband. Yeah. We went down to the park and I never, ever play basketball. I like it, but I just never played it. But we just, there's a, there was a ring at the park and we were just playing a bit of one-on-one, mucking around, and it was so much fun. And then these two other guys, they were sort of standing off to the side. I think they didn't want to intrude on the space. So we just called them in and we just played two-on-two for like 40 minutes or so. Yeah. And it was so much fun. We were exhausted by the end of it. So yeah. we got exercising or whatever. Those other two guys had a good time. And, you know, you don't know what they're going through at the moment. It's probably not great because yeah. no, one, no one's great. Um, and it was fantastic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to do that again. Like it was just the social. It was play. Like it was so fun to just play. Yeah. Um, and something you kind of forget. Maybe as you start becoming a grown-up as well. You just don't play as often. No. And now that we're stopped... You get like, oh, fuck, there's things I can do. And you're like, oh, this is fun. How good just something different. Yeah, it's something, something different. New, something that, uh, you know, even that you wouldn't normally do. Oh, I've always wanted to try blah. Mm. Do you know? So do it. Let's go and do it. Yeah. Just go do it. That's something that's healthy that's, you know, cooking. Yeah. Like, even if you are cooking super sugary, delicious tarts or whatever. Do it. Yeah, you do it. And then just go like Harper and her friend next door just went up to the park and put them in a box and just said free cookies. So and gave sweet. them to the dog walkers. And we brought dog treats. So it was like a treat for the dog and a treat for the walker. Just gave them away. Yeah. Or we just drive to people's houses and just put some on their door, knock on the door and drive off. That's like just little, just something, anything to distract you or to keep you, not distract you, but to keep you... Um, going yeah doing good things i think like oh, just yeah. doing some good things or good things with good people good things for good people yeah helps people realize that there is lots of good in the world still i think the olympics help people realize that, that it's, yeah you know it's good people there's some good the and olympics had some great little stories come yeah out of it. when the news is like just dark dark like i feel bad for the journalists and the news yeah. reporters every day that would be very dark. They're just talking, yeah. It's really hardcore. This many people died. There's this many cases of coronavirus and, you know, Afghanistan, this and, you know. So if you can just get outside and go play or just something, it doesn't really matter what it is. Like, or like, yeah, bake and then go drop them off. Mm. To see the, like, people's faces when you drop them off and, like, Harper knocks on the door, runs, jumps in the car and we just wait to see them open. It's like... Yeah, well, thank and you. Ha- and then and we just drive off. And so Harper's like, yeah, she fulfilling. loves it. Yeah. Like you, you don't feel that very often. It's yeah. so, uh, I don't know. That's what 
I just like making people happy. Mm. That's it because it, it, it's uh, the best feeling. Yeah. You just can't match it. There's nothing like where you've done something completely, you know, no, nothing else. You, I just want to make you happy. That's yeah. all I want, you yeah. know. So I think that's something that we should all focus on over lockdown if at the very least just yeah. make someone or pay it forward or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like it goes back to the recovery again. Like, what's something beyond you? Something that's not about you that you can do for someone. And, yeah, it, fe- it feels so good because you make someone else's day. Mm. But then, like, a little bit comes back to you and it just feels oh, good. It's almost a little bit selfish. Yeah, well, you don't do it with the purpose, but you know that that will happen. Yes. You just get to do it. Like, I know, like, Court, I think last year, she just paid for someone's petrol. Yeah. She didn't tell anyone. She she told me about it, but not like, oh, look what I did. She yeah. was like, oh, there was this lady. She was run, run. She's like, I just paid for it. She didn't even stay for the girl to say thank you or anything. No. But like, she knew on the inside that that girl's going to feel so good. Yeah. That would make her a day. That make her a week. She'd just feel like, oh, fuck, I can't believe this woman just paid for my petrol. Oh, that's so How nice. amazing is that? And then you feel so good for doing that. It is. It is. And I think having... That's the feeling that you get. You don't need alcohol for it. You don't need drugs. You don't need to scroll through social media. The only way you can get that feeling is by doing. Mm. And I think, you know, I think over lockdown, that's what we should all be focusing on because there are people that are feeling pretty shitty. Mm. And if we can make them their day good for, you know, half a day maybe, even you've done a good thing, good deeds. Yeah. Push forward. I'm going to leave it there. That was perfect. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, yeah, your story is amazing. You're more than welcome. And um, I'm happy to have a chat with anyone if they want to um, reach out offline and talk about it. The journey is long and it's hard and there are obstacles. You know, there are people that go, so when are you going to start drinking again? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. Actually, yeah, no, you told me last week, you hit a milestone last week. It was like a... A real defining point. A real defining point. So, yeah, well, I lost my license for four years ago now. But I've finally now just got my license back. I am not under any restrictions. You know, I can drink and drive now. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! (laughs) But it's just, it's that's it now. It's it's final. You know, I lost my license and that was sort of the, the downward spiral where it all started when I first lost my license. And it just went down and down and down from there. And then, you know, I've dealt with all the obstacles from there. And now I've got my license, my full license back and uh, I'm alcohol free. I um, I feel good. I feel confident that I can be alcohol free for the rest of my life. I will always be an alcoholic and I'll always be addicted. Like I, I do find, for example, my horses, I started with one, I have four now. Like they're they're an addiction for me, and but I think addiction is different for everyone, um, and you can have healthy addictions, and you can have really bad ones. So it's choosing the right pathway for yourself, I think, um, and some something that's good for everyone around you as well as yourself. I think is key too. So that's me. Awesome. Um, if people do want to reach out to you, you can probably just go through us. But yeah, how Facebook? Facebook. What's your Instagram oh. thing called? Do you use it? I do use Instagram. What's the? 
That's a good question. It's got a handle. People call it a handle. Is that what it's called? Uh, you know you get old when you're starting to lose touch with that sort of stuff. Okay, I know. My kids go, <laughs> Mum, no one uses Facebook. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> What's Facebook? Just people's mums use Facebook. That's it. <laughs> I'm trying to find out. I can't find it, Stu. Um, Nicole Elisa 0504, maybe? Yeah. But look, if you want to find her, just, just reach out to us and I'll put you guys on to Nicole. She'd be more than happy to, yeah, chat to you guys. Um, as we've always known Nick for as long as we've known her. She's just a beautiful, open soul. Um, very, very lucky to have her in our life. Um, even though we don't see you as often now that you've moved, like you're easily that kind of person that we can just Anytime. chat to. Call on me. Come to my hobby farm. <laughs> Put Harper on a horse. Yeah. Do whatever. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nick. You're welcome. Thanks, Stu. Thank you very much for listening to the Valar Fitness Nutrition Mind podcast. My name is Stuart Cunningham. If you enjoyed the episode, please send us a like, send us a comment, share it with a mate, give us a rating on the iTunes or whatever you're listening to this on. Every little bit of support helps. Looking forward to bringing you some more stuff next week. This is Valor.